morning, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. So Numbers, chapter 11 is where we're going to be this morning. And welcome to week four of a series that we are calling Where There's Smoke, where we are looking at this picture of our emotions, our feelings, and what it's showing us about the condition of our hearts. Or to put it like this, suppose you smelled smoke in your house that led um, you to discover a small fire in your living room. Now, not a full blaze yet, but a basically tiny tongues of heat dancing either on the curtains or maybe on the fringe of the carpet or on um, the couch. In that moment, what would you do? How would you react? Would you just shrug your shoulders and say, a little fire never hurt anyone or any house and just move on? No, no one would, would do that. You'd put it out. You'd douse it. You'd stomp on it. You'd cover it. You'd stop, drop, and roll. Whatever um, it took to get the thing out, you would do it. Um, anything but allow this flame to continue. You would not tolerate a maverick flame in your home. And the reason why is because you know that left untended, that little flame will become a fire that soon consumes everything that's consumable. If it can be consumed, that fire will consume it. So for the sake of your house, you don't play around with fire. And for the sake of our hearts, the same must be true of us. A warning should be offered about the fire in our heart, which left unchecked can burst into a hungry flame, not just destroying our hearts, but destroying our very lives. Week one, we focus on the smoke, the fire of depression. And looking at that picture, week two, we looked at anxiety and the command of Christ, do not be anxious. Last week, we unpacked the smoke or the fire of anger and saw forgiveness as the path out of anger. And this morning, we are going to dive into the subject of envy. The subject of envy, and I know most of you are thinking, well, that has nothing to do with me. I should have stayed at home today. But just think about this. Have you ever opened your closet bulging with clothes and thought, I don't have anything to wear? Have you ever looked into your refrigerator brimming with food and thought, there's nothing to eat? Have you ever looked around among the first world blessings that we have of food, clothing, shelter, transportation, jobs, um, health care, access to the gospel, and yet long for a better life? And the answer is yes. All of us have done all of those things. As sinners, we have an amazing tendency to stand in the middle of lavish blessings that are ours and still feel like we're poor and needy and need something else. How does this happen? And the answer is, in a word, envy. Envy. Yet, envy doesn't start with envy. As we said, anger last week doesn't start with anger. It starts with something else. Envy starts with forgetfulness. Meaning, envy forgets the blessings of of God as our good father. Or envy just forgets that God is God. And in forgetting his blessings, envy just assumes misery, unfulfillment, that we'll never get what we want. And what we know is this, envy is the mingling of a desire for something with the resentment that someone else is enjoying it and we are not. Things aren't going well for us, they're going well for someone else, and it just gnaws at us. Envy, as we've heard it said, is a green-eyed monster. 
And what envy does is reverses the biblical command of Romans 12, 13. Romans 12, 13 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Instead, envy reverses that. And envy says, Weep with those who are rejoicing and rejoice with those who are weeping. And this is the picture of, of envy. And as we address this sin this morning, we're also talking about a host of other sins that go along with it. Jealousy, covetousness, rivalry, resentment, hatred, corrupt desires, smoldering anger, a fixation on the blessings of other people. Or in the words of, of David Larson, he wrote these words, Envy isn't a solo assassin. Envy prowls around in a group of vicious wolves. It's a horrific sin that rejects God's gift and God himself. It's idolatrous, ungrateful, and proud. It elevates the gift above the giver and ultimately rejects God as the soul's supreme satisfaction. Ultimately, envy desires what others have or what we think we have to have. And here's a good question. Where do we find envy in Scripture? And here's the answer. Everywhere. Envy is all over Scripture. From the beginning, as early as Genesis 4, envy shows up in the story of Cain and Abel. God accepted Abel's offering, did not accept Cain's offering. Cain was envious and it led to murder. In Genesis 31, Rachel envied Leah because Leah was a fertile myrtle and Rachel was barren. So she envied that. In the same chapter, um, Leah started um, envying Rachel because um, she was loved and Leah wasn't. In Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers were envious of him because of his father's love and because of his dreams that got in the way. And we know where their envy led them to sell him into slavery. In Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron began to criticize Moses for marrying a Cushite woman. But really the issue was that they envied his position. And because they envied his position, Miriam was punished with leprosy. You know, Later, we read about King Saul's envy of David in 1 Samuel 18, when people were singing that Saul killed thousands, but David had killed ten thousands. Saul got jealous, and, and his envy even led him to try to kill David on repeated um, opportunities, trying to kill him. In Isaiah 14, we read about Lucifer envying God, pridefully wanting to become God. In Daniel 6, Daniel finds himself in a den of lions because of the envy of other Babylonian officials. In Mark 15, Jesus was handed over to Pilate, we are told, because of the envy of the chief priest. So think about this. Envy is all over the Bible. We could go and look at 1 Corinthians and the envy of the Corinthians and saying, well, you don't have as good of a follower as we have. We follow Paul. You follow Apollos. All these things going on. Envy is um, its amazing how it creeps in the word of God and how it creeps into our lives. And here's what we know. Envy is a result of an interpretation of life. So envy is the result of an interpretation of life. The problem is it's a distorted interpretation of life. Envy is fundamentally irrational. Envy is insane. When envy takes root in your heart or in my heart, we do things that simply make zero sense. And what I mean by that is this. It's like 
We see God's hand on someone else in a very obvious way. We know that God is doing something in their lives, and yet we still choose to make that person our enemy. That's insane. God's blessing them. So here's the, the, what we handle. Let's make them, the person that God is blessing, my enemy. Does that sound smart or insane? Yet that's what we do. Envy makes us insane. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring God's goodness in our own lives. And it's what we do. Envy looks at life through a rippled window. It twists whatever it sees. Envy separates us from reality. It expands certain facts. It neglects other facts. It reshapes even more facts. All the while, it presents to us a worldview as accurate that is not accurate. And the fundamental declaration of envy is this. I deserve better. I deserve better. And so the fact that envy begins with the two words, I deserve, show you how distorted and dangerous envy is. Anytime we as believers start talking about what we deserve, we are on dangerous ground. So this is the test for us today. How do we respond to the blessings and successes of other people? Do you murmur and gossip about them or do you celebrate with them? Are you filled with gratitude or is your heart filled with rivalry? When it comes to the success or fruitfulness of others, are you their biggest fan or do you immediately become their biggest critic? For, for every envious heart in this room, the one never-failing remedy is for us to have our hearts exposed to the Word of God. So that is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to expose our hearts to the Word of God so that we might hear, really hear, and really know the heart of our God for us. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read Numbers 11, verses 1 through 10. Looking at this picture of envy, and it says this, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord. And let me just pause and say this, all of our complaining is always in the hearing of the Lord. So just so every complaint is in the hearing of the Lord um, about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of the place was called Taborah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of Bedulam. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mill or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Let's pray together. 
Father, as we come before you this morning, we want to again and again, God, expose our hearts to you, expose our hearts to your word. We want to say as the psalmist, oh God, search us and know us. Lord, try us, show us, God, our anxious thoughts, show us our envious thoughts. God, show us those things in our lives that displease you and lead us in a different way as you do a supernatural work in us. Father, today just speak to your people by your word, through your spirit. God, speak to us. Speak, God. We need to hear from you. So have your way in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So what we know is this, envy is a stingy and envy is a demanding master. You know, most sins that we get caught up in bait the hook at least. You know, lust offers excitement and escape. Greed promises us wealth and pleasure. Gossip promises us power and participation. But with envy, it's all hook and there's no bait. There's no upside to it at all. There was a story that has been told about a young Greek athlete um, who ran in a race and placed second. In honor of the winner, his village erected a large statue in the town square. Envy and jealousy attacked this runner who came in second to the degree that he planned to destroy the statue. So each night, under the cover of darkness, he went out and chipped away at the foundation of this statue, expecting it to fall on its own someday. But one night, however, he chipped too much and the statue's weakened base um, began to crack and it popped and the huge marble statue came down upon this disgruntled athlete, meaning he died under the crushing weight of the one who he had come to hate. And here's the reality. The truth is he died long before that statue fell on him. And giving up his heart to envy and giving up his heart to jealousy, he ceased to live, to truly live. He became a slave to the giant of jealousy. His heart had become a picture of, of the Greek word for envy. The Greek word literally means to boil within. It's what envy does. It boils within. Picture in your mind a seething, boiling jealousy growing within our hearts. And growing and boiling and growing and boiling. And then think about what we just read in Numbers 11. In Numbers 11, the children of Israel are a little over a year removed from being delivered from slavery. Delivered from Egypt. They were passing through the wilderness where God led them every day by a pillar of cloud by day. A pillar of fire by night. Every morning God provided manna for them to eat. Yet despite the miraculous provision, the Israelites are now complaining about their circumstances. And their complaining is a direct result of envy, of their distorted worldview, of their own insanity that's going on. And again, what we must understand this morning is that the most effective medicine 
for the disease of envy is not just for us to immerse ourselves to the word of God, which is true, but also to continually and deliberately immerse ourselves in the goodness of God to us. In the past, in the present, in the future, to immerse ourselves in the fact that God has been, is being, and will be good to us. And he will continually treat us better than we deserve. So this morning, that's going to be kind of our three truths, looking at God's goodness, past, present, and future, and kind of what envy does in um, each of those um, situations. So the first is this, the first truth, envy disregards God's goodness poured out in the past. Envy disregards God's goodness to us poured out in the past. Look at verse 1 again. It says, The people complain in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortune. Again, the people of Israel are one year and one month removed from being slaves in Egypt, where they wept and they cried out to God, seeking God for deliverance. They wanted freedom, and God mightily um, redeemed them. He mightily brought them out of Egypt. Yet somehow they had managed to place their focus only on their misfortunes. This is what we do. We ignore all the things that God has done and all we can focus on is the one thing not going our way. And that becomes our focus. And in this moment, they're not considering what God had already done for them, how God had delivered them, how God had provided for them. And again, as we just said, envy often says, I deserve. I deserve. And envy says that, get this, while choosing complete obliviousness about what we actually deserve. Be careful as a Christian to walk around saying, I deserve this. No, you deserve hell. You deserve hell is what you deserve. And I know we're not supposed to say that word in church. We're not supposed to say hell anymore in church, but we deserve hell. And for us to say I deserve anything more is once again to show the insanity of sin in our lives. That's all we deserve. That's all we will ever deserve. You don't deserve any good thing that God has done for you. I don't deserve any good thing that God has done for me. This is the heart of envy. Staying unaware of what we actually deserve while acting like God owes us more than he's given us. Let me say it again. It's the the heart of envy. Staying unaware of what we actually deserve while acting like God owes us more than he has given us. How many times have we let our present circumstances make us completely forget what God has done for us in the past? If we're just able to look at life from a humble or from a thankful heart, we will quickly remember that we have been unfairly showered with blessings. Meaning the most undeserved blessing is that we have been saved We have been showered with the blessing of salvation because of the sacrifice of another. Our Savior, who had it all, was willing to forsake that so that we would never envy him. No one ever looks at the cross and goes, I wish I was there. We never do that. Jesus gave it all up so that we would never envy him so that he could, by his love and sacrifice, win us. When you're having a bad day, remind yourself of where you were in your sin. Remind yourself of what you, uh, or where you should be. 
Where you should be is under the judgment where God's wrath eternally pours on you. That's where we should be. And then remind yourself of who you actually are. By his grace, you are a child of God. You have the spirit of God living inside of you. And it is a promised inheritance that cannot ever be taken away. That is who we are. That is what we have. We need to spend more time reflecting on the incredible kindness of God and saving us and giving us assurance that the God who delivered us didn't do so just so he could let us perish now. So God didn't deliver you just to let you perish now. He didn't deliver you just to let you go now. Think about it at this point. At this point, when we think about the cross, what it means is this. God has invested more in your life than you have. Through the cross, God has invested more in your life than you have. And then I have. He shed his blood for us. That's part of our past. Envy disregards God's goodness poured out in the past. But envy doesn't stop there. Secondly, envy discredits God's goodness provided in the presence. And the present, excuse me, envy discredits God's goodness provided in the present. Envy doesn't just keep us from remembering what God has done for us in the past. Envy keeps us from enjoying the goodness of God right now. Look at verses four through six again. Verse four through six, it ends by saying this. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We always laugh because um, with myself and Pastor Michael, when we go to India, um, he's always quick to go, I want Indian food. I want Indian I cannot wait for Indian food. I cannot wait. And about halfway through, he's like um, the Israelites who wanted it, and then it was just coming out of their nose. He's like, no more. No more Indian food. Make it go away. Stop. Can we have Pizza Hut or something? Anything other than this. But oh, that we had meat. Then they said this, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Oh, Really? It really cost nothing? Or did it cost you your everyday life as a slave? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Well, Israelites, you don't look at it, you eat it. That's the whole point of this. But think about this. The present reality of the people of Israel. Just think about their present reality. The ark of God that represented his presence was still with them. The pillar of cloud by day, the fire by night was still with them. The manna was still falling from heaven every day except for on the Sabbath. And God's man, Moses, was still directing them, was leading them. You know, it's insane. And it's as if the more God cares for us, the more God deeply and lovingly cares for us, the more we seem completely ignorant of his care. Let me say that again. The more God cares for us, deeply and lovingly cares for us, the more it seems that we are totally ignorant of his care. And so we, just like the Israelites, complain about our present hardships, our present realities. So what are our present realities? Our hardships, we have trials, we have discomfort, we have the success in the life of other people. Or maybe we've been placed, like the Israelites, on what we consider to be a boring diet. And so we complain about that. 
And then we complain about what we don't have, which is what the Israelites were doing. Or to, to put it another way, the Israelite or Israel was complaining about what had kind of been dealt to them. And they were complaining about what had been denied to them. So what had been dealt to them, what had been denied to them. Do we recognize any of that? Uh, we should. Trials come our way and we go, why me, God? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Or somebody else gets what we want and then we say, why not me, God? Why not me? Why can't I get this? Why them? I wanted that. This is what the children of Israel were doing. They're saying, all we have is manna. That's all we have. And if that's all we have, we're going to die. It's what they're saying here. This will never be enough. This is their complaining. This is what they're saying. If this food that God has given to us, in Psalm 78, the food was called the, the bread of, of angels. It's what it's called. If, if that's all we have, it will never be enough. We're going to dry up. We won't make it. Here's the problem with that. Once again, it was a lie. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, and you can turn there if you want to, in Deuteronomy 8, uh, Moses reminds the people in verse 2 and verse 4, he says this, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothing, verse 4, did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. In other words, here's what Moses was saying to them. What Moses was saying is, hey guys, we're 40 years in and manna that God gave to us was really enough. It was really enough. You were complaining about 39 years ago it not being enough. It's been enough. 40 years later, here we are. It was enough. Envy assumes this. If all I have is what God has given to me, then it's not enough. If all I have is what God has promised to me, then it's not enough. My soul is going to dry up. That's what envy assumes. Yet, it is a lie. It's not true. And tragically, it keeps us from enjoying what God has given to us for our enjoyment. Or think of it like this. Envy, or at least a version of it, was one of the key elements at work in the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of every tree in the garden except for one. And guess what they immediately said? Well, that must be the best one. If God won't let us have that one, then that one must be the best one. And this is their picture. In our minds, the best life always seems to be right over there in the tree that God won't let us eat from. Right? That's always it. The best life is always the one right over there that God won't let us eat from. Tim Keller said this, Envy will make you think something is wrong even in paradise. This is what happened to Adam and Eve. Envy will make you think something is wrong even in paradise. For envy will dry up our souls. It will take away even our appetites to enjoy what we have in the present. Sometimes we don't enjoy our jobs because of envy of someone else. We don't enjoy, enjoy the resources that we have because we're looking at our neighbor's resources. We don't enjoy our, the marriage that we have because of someone else's. We don't enjoy our families because other people's families seem to be more blessed. We don't enjoy the friendships that we have or the relationships that could be. We don't enjoy the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given us because we're too busy worried about other people. 
Envy discredits God's goodness provided for us in the present where we can't enjoy it now. That's what happens. And then third, envy disbelieves God's goodness promised in the future. Envy disbelieves God's goodness promised in the future. The Israelites, just like we do, forgot that God had brought them out of Egypt so that he could bring them into the land of promise. In fact, look on the screen. On the screen you have Deuteronomy 6, 23 through 25. And it says this. Moses is talking to the people. Moses said, And he, God, brought us out from there, Egypt, that he might bring us in. He brought us out so that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us. So think about this. From the standpoint of the Israelites, God didn't just deliver them from Egypt as slaves just to let them hang out in the wilderness. He brought them out so that he could bring them into another place, a place that he promised for them, meaning for us, get this, For you in this room, child of God, your salvation is not just about escaping something. Your salvation isn't just about getting a get-out-of-hell-free card. Your salvation is about being taken somewhere. Meaning we've been brought out of sin, we've been brought out of that, and God is now taking us on a journey that's going to lead us to Him and His presence forever. There's a greater... um, purpose in our lives than just freedom there's a greater purpose in everything that the israelites were going through right now everything they were complaining about was absolutely temporary the specific trials of desert travel was temporary the food in which the menu never changed was only temporary god was taking them somewhere he was leading them into the promised land And God is also taking us somewhere. And let's allow our minds this morning to go a little little further. And let me just say this this morning. What is, what is will not always be. What is will not always be. There's something coming for us. The biblical story is not an endless repeating cycle. What I mean by that is this. The biblical story isn't just repeating itself over and over and over again. The biblical story has a perfect beginning. It has a dark and painful middle. And praise God, it has a glorious end. This is the biblical story. There is a bright light even in the dark and painful middle. In the person of the perfect man, Jesus Christ. He came as the second Adam to succeed where Adam had failed in the garden. He won an an eternal victory on the criminal's cross for us. His victory is our victory, and that victory will be his and will be ours forever. Yet, envy is very skilled at making us forget eternity. I think of Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, guess what the The um, psalmist is writing going, the wicked are blossoming, they're flourishing, and I'm over here serving the Lord, and it's done me zero good whatsoever. Why do I even serve the Lord? Because I get nothing. And then in the middle of it, he says this, 
until I went into the house of the Lord and I recognized their end. I recognize how life ends for the ungodly. Meaning, we might envy them now, but one day we will not envy them. Amen. One day we will not say, I wish I was where they are. No, we won't wish um, to be where they are. The, the picture is envy acts as if all we have is here and now. And because of that, it misses the point of the here and now. I read a cool story this week about J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've heard of him. He, he and the often quoted, especially here, C.S. Lewis, we quote him here a lot, um, were friends. Tolkien actually led um, C.S. Lewis to Christ at Oxford. But something happened, which is Tolkien became envious of C.S. Lewis. They discussed writing the kind of novels that they wanted to read. And C.S. Lewis basically churned out novel after novel after novel while Tolkien was stuck on one book, The Lord of the Rings. And he kept writing and rewriting chapters because nothing was ever as good as he aspired it to be. He got frustrated because of his lack of progress compared to C.S. Lewis and all these books he was coming out with. And um, Tolkien even developed writer's block and even stopped working on The Lord of the Rings completely. Then one night he had a dream. And when he woke up, he wrote this dream into a story. The story was called Leaf by Niggle. It's a curious little story of a, a man who was an artist commissioned by his town to make a mural. But after years of working on it, all he had been able to make or draw is one leaf. That's all he had been able to draw, one leaf. And after years, he died. And when he was on the train headed to paradise, someone got his attention and said, Look, and before him stood the whole tree finished. And Tolkien realized that in that moment, that was the picture of his life. All of us get to taste only a little bit of the world to come. Some of us get more to taste than others of us do, but eventually we're all going to get the whole tree. We're all going to get the whole tree. So when we feel like all we have is a leaf and somebody else has a branch or somebody else has more, we look forward to heaven and think about the day where we will have the full tree. We will have it all. So the point is our knowledge of what is coming in the future can help us be content with where we are in the present. All the while, never forgetting what God has done for us in the past, what he is doing for us right now, and what he will do for us in the future. Let me end this way. Soren Kierkegaard, in his book, Sickness Unto Death, said, and get this, envy arises because of worship. Envy arises because of worship. And he says this, if you want to understand what you worship, follow what you envy. You envy those people who have the things that you most worship. So follow the smoke trail of your envies down to the fires you've built at your altar of worship because that's where the real problem is. That's the only place to correct the problem. So what envious sins are at the altar of our worship? What envious sins are there? I love the way um, Paul Tripp put it. He said, if you worship your way into envy then you better worship your way out of it. Meaning stop worshiping those things and begin to worship the one and the only one who is worthy of our worship. 
And that will, that's their only way out of it, to worship the one who is worthy, to worship the one who will always be good to us. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe we, we walked in not thinking much of the sermon and now we're kind of find ourselves a little disheartened or, or holding our leaf going, is this it? And let me just say this, don't, don't be disheartened this morning. There is good news for our envious distortion. The creator in his grace invaded our envious madness in the person of Jesus Christ. Our savior never lived a life of envy. He didn't envy anyone, but instead he gave up everything so that we might he gave up everything that, that we might experience or everything that, that um, we would envy ourselves. And he experienced a life of pain, a life of sacrifice, a life of rejection. On the cross, Jesus was punished for our envy. He purchased forgiveness for our envy. He gave us his envy-free righteousness. And we have the hope of an eternity with him. But we don't, don't just have that hope then. We have that hope now. We have that hope now. Here's the question this morning. Do you really believe in the goodness of God? Do you really believe that God can be trusted? Do you really believe that, that God will not withhold anything good from you? The one that would not even spare his own son. He will gladly give you all things, whatever you need. Do we really believe that? Do we believe in his goodness? Do we understand his past goodness towards us and that he did not give us what we deserve? Instead, he gave us what we could never deserve, his salvation. Do we understand his present goodness in our lives of all the things that he has blessed us with? I hate saying it like this, but brothers and sisters, we live, we live in America. Go on mission trips and see how other people are living. I mean, under, I'll never forget the first time going to Haiti. And we were driving through a field and we saw people, they were digging. And I was like, oh, what are they planting? And the woman said, they're not planting. They're, they dig and they, they go down as far as they can and they take um, this dirt they go home and they bake it and they eat dirt cookies because the, the further they go, the better the nutrients are. And I'm thinking to myself, man, when was the last time I just sat down and ate a whole thing of Oreos just because they're Oreos? And yet, dirt cookies. I mean, here's the picture. Brothers and sisters, God has been so good to us. Yet to whom much is given, much is required. Much is required. And do, do we trust the goodness of God in the future. If we can trust him for the future, for salvation, for eternal life, for heaven, we can trust him now. Oh, I pray that we would trust him now like, like never before that we would trust him now. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm going to call Brother Frank and the musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And let's pray together. Fathers, we approach you now. We do so again with open hearts. Lord, believing that as your word has been declared, as your spirit has moved, God, that you have convicted us or shown us of things in our lives, God, that should not be there. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to ignore those things. Help us not just to shrug our shoulders to those things. God, help us to deal with those things. And we don't deal with envy in our hearts by trying to take it on ourselves, God. We... Deal with the envy in our hearts, Father, by your supernatural power. By trusting and 
desiring your mercy and grace and believing you for who you are and believing you for what you say you will give to us. While also never forgetting, God, what you have given to us. I will just end this time today in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.